Well, it's a privilege to be able to, to be here this morning, to be able to share God's Word. I normally just get to sing, but this morning I get to preach, and uh, it's one thing that I really enjoy doing, but, you know, we have such a great pastor and such a great leadership team, and so I'm thankful for the, the privilege to be able to serve here, to be able to privilege, the privilege to be able to, to serve in the capacity in which I'm able to serve. I'm thankful for our pastor and the leadership that he gives us, and I'm thankful for the, for the team that, that we're able to have here at Fort Caroline. So it's, it's an honor to be able to be here with you this morning, and we're starting a new sermon series, a sermon series called uh, Greatest Sermon Ever, and I know some of you probably saw that title, and you immediately thought, okay, which of Pastor Ricky's messages are we going to be, be talking about the whole, the whole month long? Uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount is what we're going to be talking about the next two months. It's an eight-week sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, Greet Jesus' longest message ever recorded. He is, if, if you open your Bible, uh, and if you happen to have a red-letter edition of the Bible, some of you may, some of you may not, uh, if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, they have the letters, the words of Jesus are in red. It signifies that this is probably pretty important. Uh, the Son of God, the Messiah, is speaking here. It's something that we probably ought to, to pay attention to. So some of your Bibles will have the words of Jesus in red. Well, if you happen to open your Bible in the book of Matthew, somewhere between chapter 5 and somewhere between chapter 7, every single word in those entire chapters will be solid red because it's Jesus speaking. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus longest recorded message. And it's an important message because Jesus is letting his disciples know what's going to happen. This is the, the right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right at the very start. He's just about to kick things off. If you look in chapter 4, which is we're going to be, getting, uh, be speaking in chapter 5, but if you look at chapter 4, you'll see Jesus has just called his disciples. He's, he's about to begin the final part of his ministry, the last three years of the ministry of Jesus, where he began to tell who he was and what he was about and what he was here for, and ultimately was going to go to the cross to save us and then rise again on the third day to conquer death, hell, and the grave once and for all. So that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big ministry, and he's just about to get started on this ministry. He's just called his disciples. And he's about to, to really kick it off. And, and Jesus had already been starting to heal. He had been starting to teach. And he had been starting to draw crowds. Uh, listen real quick to what it says in chapter 4. Just as This is right before uh, where we're going to be talking about today. This isn't on your screen. But it says this in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 23. It says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him those who were ill of various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, which were the ten cities that surrounded the area, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So Jesus had a following. He drew crowds and people were just amazed at the things that he had done. There were many that probably saw the miracles of Jesus, and they thought, you know, I'm sick. I've got pain. I've got problems in my body. I need healing. And they followed him. Others thought, you know, the things that he's saying really make sense. I'm going to follow him. And there were some that followed probably just for the show. I mean, that would probably be pretty fun to watch. You know, paralyzed that are walking again. Those who are having seizures are having seizures no more. Those that were demon-possessed 
are no longer demon-possessed. So that would probably be pretty, some, pretty fun to watch. So he had crowds that were following for various reasons. Uh, some needed healing, some wanted the teaching, some were just there for the show. So Jesus needs to prep his disciples for what's to come. And he's giving his instructions on what followers should look like. So, so just picture it. Jesus sees this large crowd of people following him. He's just called his disciples. He needs to let his disciples know what a true disciple, what a true follower of Jesus looks like, and what better way to do it than a message straight from him to them. He's going to get to the heart of what true service looks like. You see, the Ten Commandments which are the laws that they had been living by. The Ten Commandments and the rest of the 613 Jewish laws told them what to do. There were 613 Jewish laws that told these people in this region what it meant to be a good Jew. What it meant to be a good Jew. There were 613 things. You don't do these 613 things and you're going to be okay. Well, Jesus wants to get to the heart of what true service looks like. He wants to get beyond just saying, okay, don't do these things. Let's get to the meaning. What are these laws? Jesus said he came not to destroy the law, not to throw away all the things that had been set up, but he said, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. So he wants to get to the heart of what are all these laws, what's behind them, what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus, to be a true believer in God. The, the, the Ten Commandments were a great start, but this went deeper. It's almost like Jesus was saying, okay, the Ten Commandments and the law had its place and had its time, but for my followers, there's so much more. I don't know if you, a few of you, some of you may remember years ago the, the fights to try to make sure the Ten Commandments were placed in the, were, were able to be kept in the, in the courthouses across this country. Those were Jewish laws for Jewish people in a Jewish time, and we can glean great things from those, but the Ten Commandments were for a different place in a different time. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm about to take that, and I'm going to build on those in such an amazing way that you've ever seen. So maybe instead of fighting to keep the Ten Commandments on the, laws, on the walls of our courthouses, wouldn't it be awesome if maybe we said, hey, why don't we put the Sermon on the Mount on the walls of these courthouses that really tell us that I don't think we have courthouses long enough or wide enough to be able to hold all what Jesus said here. But we're going, to be, we're going to be talking about this. But there's something that we do need to understand. We can't follow these teachings without Jesus' help. We can't do it without Jesus. So if you are here today or if you're watching online today and you are not a follower of Jesus, that's okay. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're joining us. We're so glad that you are on this journey to try to learn more about what Jesus is and who he is and what he's done and, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're so glad. But if, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, if you aren't a disciple of Jesus, good news today, you're off the hook. Everything that we talk about today, they are good lessons to learn. They're good things to live by, but you don't have to do it. Because these are for the followers of Jesus. So I invite you, if you are here today, if you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus, sit back, listen to see what we as Christians should be living like. And I encourage you, hold us to the standard that you're about to hear over these next eight weeks. Hold us to the standard of the things that you're about to hear over the next eight weeks. Make sure that we are living by the way that the person whom we follow we get our name Christians. That was a name, Little Christ. Make sure we're living by the means that our 
Savior, the one whom we call our Lord. Make sure we're living the way we're supposed to live. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your device with you, your Bible with you, it's also going to be on the screen. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to get to the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. It said, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. So Jesus sees these crowds and he's like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to teach my disciples. And he said, he, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, we often see a sermon, a pastor goes into a stage, he stands behind a, a pulpit or uh, beside a, a table and he begins to teach. Well, in, in the way it worked in In Judaism, the rabbi would often go to the front of the temple and he would sit down and all of the other people that wanted to come hear him would stand and they would listen. So maybe we ought to try that sometime. (laughs) Pastor Ricky could come and sit down and everybody else stands up and you would be less apt to fall asleep for sure. Um, And maybe that's why he did it. Maybe maybe they had a lot of people that were falling asleep and... and, um, he needed to take care of that. But so what Jesus does, he takes on the role of a rabbi here, the role of a teacher. So he sits down and his disciples come and they gather around him. And he's about to lay out, this is what it looks like to follow me. You see all these people? I can just imagine Jesus saying, look, you see all these people around us? All those that are sick, all those that need healing, all those that need comfort, we are the ones who can provide that. We're the only ones who have the answer. This is what it looks like to give them the answers. This is what it looks like to to be what they need in their lives. So he begins to teach. And he pulls his followers aside so that he could begin to teach them. And he starts with a section that we call the Beatitudes. Some of you, if you have headings in your Bible, it may say the Beatitudes. And all that word means, Beatitudes, is just supreme blessedness. It's not a word we use much anymore, but it means supreme blessedness, not just blessed to be blessed or not just you check out at Walmart or Target and someone says, have a blessed day. It goes beyond that. This is full blessing. Supreme blessedness is what Beatitudes means. And he starts with blessings because in the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings are going to get really, really hard. He's going to tell us that hate is just the same as murder. If you hate your brother, you are just as guilty as if you murdered him, according to God's law. If you lust after a woman or a man, that's just as bad as committing adultery. If you are a hypocrite, if you are prideful, he starts to go, he, he's about to really just completely rock their world on what they thought was good based on the law that they had, had known, and he's about to turn it on his head. So he starts off with relatively easy teaching based on what he's about to get into. So he starts off with the blessings, and each of these statements tells them that they are blessed. He knows where things are headed. He knows that at the end of these three years of his ministry, Things are going to be really dark. Even in the midst of that, things are not going to be easy. And he's telling them right off the bat, you are blessed. He doesn't say, you will be blessed if you do these things. You will be blessed if you say this the right way, or if you read this the right way, or if you you do this the right way. He's saying, you 
are blessed as my disciples because you possess these attributes that I'm about to tell you about. As a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, just as they were then, Jesus says the same thing to us. You are blessed. You know, sometimes we don't feel very blessed. Sometimes we just feel pretty terrible. But as a follower of Jesus, you are blessed because of the attributes that followers of Jesus have. Now, all of us have these attributes within us as followers of Jesus. If you've, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if you've believed in him for salvation, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within your life, you have these attributes. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean these attributes are where they need to be. But all of us possess these things because of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So I want to encourage you, just as Jesus was to them, sharing the blessings that they already possessed, as we hear these blessings, I want us to begin to look at our own lives and see, okay, I have these blessings in my life. I have these attributes in my life. Are these attributes living out to their full potential? Are these attributes being fulfilled in my life the way that would be pleasing and honoring to God? And these aren't simply principles. These aren't simply a buffet where we can go and, and choose this and, and choose this attribute and choose that attribute. Uh, these are a way of life. They, and if they aren't a way of life in the way that they need to be, we need to be moving in that direction. So let's look at the first blessing in verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus takes a real tangible, mortal feeling, and he makes a spiritual connection. And immediately you begin to think, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Blessed are the poor? We think blessed are those that are rich. When we see someone who is, who is rich, someone who has a lot of things, we think, oh, they're really blessed. They really live a blessed life. Jesus is saying, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he takes a, a tangible feeling to show a spiritual truth. Most of us have never really felt what it's like to be really poor as these people would have felt what it meant to be really poor. Because in our society, thankfully, the, the country that we're able to live in, even those that are the poorest among us are still so much better off than poor in other places in the world. And those of us who would consider ourselves not rich and may even consider ourselves poor are still rich by the world standards. So even though we truly can't understand what being poor would have felt like to these people that he's talking to, we still understand what it means to be poor. Maybe not in a, a deep way, but we still can kind of grasp that in our mind. And being poor is scary because you just don't, don't know how you're going to survive at times. I know that was one of the scariest things for many uh, during the pandemic that we've just thankfully um, are coming out of now. But even in the midst of when it was just starting off, that was one of the scariest things. Am I going to have a job? Am I going to be able to provide for my family? When you're poor, it's scary because you just don't know how are you going to survive. Am I going to have to rely on someone else to be able to make it? And that is the very reason why Jesus says, blessed are the poor. You may say, how can you 
How can poor be a blessing? Because when you are poor and you're empty and you don't have the means to survive, you have to look to someone else. Just as many have done in our country, they've taken advantage of the, the means of which the government and other organizations have been able to help them get back up on their feet and provide help for them. But if you're poor, you have to look to someone else. But when you are poor in spirit, the only place you can go to find help for your situation is to God. And so if you are poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus often would, people would ask, what, the kingdom of heaven, is it here or is it there? And Jesus told the, the Pharisees the Jesus, that the, the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. It's right here. Jesus would said, it's at arm, arm's length, I and the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, what he's saying is, even though you're poor, even though you don't have what you think you need to survive, you get me. And I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good trade-off. Our poor for his riches. Because if you are able to provide and, and, and provide for yourself, you often don't need to look anywhere else. But when you are poor, and when you're poor in spirit, you can look to God, and he's the one who will give you the riches that he has. We fill our lives up so often with things that don't really matter, and sometimes we don't have room for Jesus. And so a lot of times we are poor in spirit by our own making because we fill our lives with everything else to give us hope and to give us peace when he's really the only thing that can fill us. But we are blessed when we're poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is ours. Verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, it's this astounding statement. Hold on, wait a minute. Blessed are those that mourn, those that are sad, those that are distraught. How in the world can that be a blessing? The blessing comes in the promise. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Comfort is the blessing. Because when you mourn, when you are sad, your comfort comes from God. God comes and he fills your life and he wraps his arms around you, and you are comforted by him. So although the mourning is terrible, and although the sadness is terrible, you are able to be comforted by God. Verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. A lot of times we have this idea of meekness. We hear meek, we hear that someone is meek, and we immediately think that they are weak. But meekness is not weakness. In fact, in verse, in, in verse 11 of, of Matthew, Jesus described himself as being meek. He said, I'm meek and lowly of heart. Jesus wasn't weak. Meekness is, is power that is under control. So Jesus says, blessed are those that are meek. Blessed are those whose power is under control. And the promise, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those that surrender the reins of their life over to God. We think of a uh, meekness. It's been described that a horse, I've heard horses described as being meek. Um, a horse is, is strong. I've heard of oxen being described as being meek and lowly. Uh, they aren't weak at all, but they, they're, they're under the control of someone else. So blessed are those whose lives are surrendered and the reins of their lives have been surrendered over to God. And the promise is, 
They will inherit the earth. The New Living Translation says the earth will be theirs. Those that are meek, those who take a place of lowliness now, they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. You may feel lowly now. You may feel like you are downcast now. You may feel that you are on a lower rung than others. But there is coming a day. There is coming a day for those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior that everything we see now that we wish we could have will fade in comparison to what we actually grasp and actually have in our ownership. It says that we will inherit the earth. There are many that, that flaunt their power now. We see it all the time. We see it in the world. We see uh, uh, all over people flaunting their power, flaunting their money, flaunting their success. That is all fleeting. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, it doesn't sound like much of a blessing if you are hungry and thirsty. And these people would have truly known what being hungry and thirsty felt like. You know, uh, it wasn't like then like it is now. We can just, you know, hop in the car and um, drive down to, to Bucky's and get a, get a sliced brisket sandwich. We just did that yesterday. Have you guys been to, to Bucky's? Um, you can drive down, I mean, 30 minutes, well worth the drive. Drive down to World Golf Village. Um, it, it wasn't like that then like it is now. I mean, these people would just, they knew what it was like to hunger and thirst. They knew what it was like to go without food and to go without something to drink, wondering where their next meal may come from. And Jesus is, Jesus is telling them that you are blessed when you hunger and you thirst, but not just hunger and thirst for food, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Just as you would hunger for food or drink if you were starving or dehydrated, you should hunger for righteousness, for things to be made right according to God's way. If you have a New Living Translation, that word for righteousness, they translate it as justice. Hunger and thirst for justice. So there are things in the world that you just see that just don't feel right. That is the hunger and thirst for righteousness that is, that is within you. We see injustice in the world and it should cause us to say and cry out, God, make things right. We see children whose lives are taken away before they even breathe their first breath, it should cause us to say, God, make things right. We see a, a black man in the street whose life is ended by a cop kneeling on his neck for 10 minutes. That should cause us to cry out and say, God, make things right. We see children with no food or anything or even a place hardly to call their home because that has been gone, given to feed their parents' addiction. And we see that and we say, God, make things right. That is the hunger and the thirst for righteousness. And when we hunger for things to be made right according to God's standards, we'll be filled with his righteousness. But if we never hunger, we never receive the promise. If we never hunger, we never receive the promise. And if we hunger for the wrong things, our lives will be filled with them instead of God. Blessed are the merciful, it says in verse 7, for they will be shown mercy. 
Are you eager to give mercy? Are you eager to repay evil with evil? God says, you are blessed if you're eager to show mercy because you will be shown mercy in return. And when we truly understand what God has done for us, we should be quick to want to show mercy. We should be quick to want to show mercy. When we see what God has done for us, when we see what God has done for us, when we realize where we were, how we were apart from God, we should be eager to show mercy to those around us. So blessed are the merciful. Those who show mercy will be blessed because they will be shown mercy. In verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart means doing right just because it's right. Do you want to be pure? That's the question. Um, C.S. Lewis said it like this. It's safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God, for only the pure in heart really want to. Only those that are pure in heart really want to see God. So it's safe to say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, because the desire of our hearts, those of us who want to see things right just for the sake of them being right, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I love the way the New Living Translation says this. Blessed are those who work for peace. A lot of times we see, we think of peacemakers as people who are passive, you know, passivism. And, you know, we really don't want to get involved and we're not going to really cause uh, ruckus. We're not going to cause any trouble. But I love that it's the way it translates in the New Living Translation. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who work for peace. And the peacemaker here is, is someone who works to bring someone to peace with God. You know, we are, we are told in the Bible that those of us who haven't trusted and believed in Jesus, those of us before we came to Christ, we were enemies with God. We are enemies with God. But blessed are the peacemakers because they bring peace to those who are far from God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of of God. So the promise is you will be called the children of God because we are working to bring others into his family. And look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Have you ever felt persecuted? Have you ever just felt like someone was attacking you? Like someone who... Before we talk about what persecution is, let's talk about what persecution is not. Uh, we often think that just because someone looks at us in the wrong way that we are being persecuted. Persecution is not someone telling us happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Um, persecution is not a red Starbucks cup. Do you guys remember that a few years ago? There was this whole boycott of Starbucks because they chose to have a red Starbucks cup at Christmas time and everyone was upset because you know, they had a red Starbucks cup instead of having a Christmas scene. On Starbucks. Um, 
a lot of times we, we think of what uh, our, these, these uh, persecutions are, but per, true persecution is when you are being attacked for working for God's righteousness. Working for God's righteousness. When you are working to bring about peace, when you are working to be a peacemaker and you are persecuted, that is what the persecution <clears throat> that he's talking about here. And persecution may come from inside or outside of the church. Those who are outside of the church, they may persecute you because you are telling them that they are enemies with God, that they aren't where they need to be, and you will work, and you're working to bring them peace. It may come from inside the church because there are those inside the church who don't want the kingdom of God for just anyone. They only want it for people that act like them or that look like them. So blessed are those that are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But when you are persecuted, he says here, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. The promise is that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God says you may not be accepted by the world but you have a home with me. So these are the Beatitudes. These are the supreme blessings of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So what? What do we do with it? Where do we go from here? Because we are blessed, we should make a difference. It goes on to say, and we're going to learn a little bit, little bit more about this next week in the teachings of Jesus, when he says that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He goes on to say that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So you should make a difference in the world that you live in. You should be making a difference in the world around you. With those that are around you, how are you helping them? Those that are mourning, how are you bringing comfort to them? When you see unjust, injustice in the world around you, whether it's racism or sexism in the workplace, how are you making a difference? Are you standing up for those who have no voice? Are you making a difference in the world around you? Are you being salt? in the world around you? Are you being light in the world around you? In essence, the world should look different because we are in it. The world should look different because we are in it. The world should be a better place. It should be brighter. It should taste better because we are in it. So in the world around you, are you making a difference? We talked about the blessings, and it comes down to this. You are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. Jesus was gathering his disciples around, and he said, I'm about to give you some deep teaching. But before I do, here are the blessings. And I'm going to tell you all these things because I want you to make a difference in the world around you. I want you to make a difference in the circles of influence that you have, in the small pockets of influence I want you to have, in the large settings, wherever God has placed 
you, I want you to make a difference, he would have said to his disciples as he looked around at the crowds of the people that were gathered around needing something from Jesus. He, told, he wanted them to be a representative of him to those they come into contact with. He wanted them to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. And just as Jesus would have told his disciples, he tells us the same thing. You are blessed to be a blessing. So who can you bless? How are you going to bless others? And we can't bless everyone. We can't make a difference in every situation. But we can make a difference in one situation. We can bless one person with our lives. So who is the one that you are going to be salt and light? Who is the one that today you're going to bless because of the blessings that you've received from God. Think about it today. Even as we're sitting here right now, think about it in your mind. Who that is hungry and thirsting for justice, who are you going to speak out for? Who are you going to help? Who in your life that is mourning, who are you going to bring comfort to? Who that has been persecuted, are you going to put your arm around and you say, you know what, things don't look good here? But just wait, because things, the things to come are so much better. Who is that one? Who is that one that you're going to be a blessing in their life? You are blessed to be a blessing. And that's what the blessed life is all about. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the truths of your word. And Lord, we know things aren't always easy. We know things aren't always great. And Lord, there's things that we don't understand, but we know that because of you and because of what you've done for us, that things are always going to work out for our good. And you've promised us that. We thank you for your word that reminds us that we are blessed. But let us not keep these blessings. Let us not live this blessed life to ourselves. Let us be blessed to be a blessing. Help us today to make a difference in the life of someone that we come into contact with so that we can make an eternal difference in their life. God, we love you and we thank you and we appreciate uh, all that you've done for us. We're eternally grateful for the difference you've made in our lives. Help us to make a difference in the lives of someone else. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.